Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Political State Podcast from the Oklahoman. I'm Ben Felder with the Oklahoman's Watchdog Desk. Joining me as always, my co-host, Dale Denwalt, Justin Wingeter. It is Friday, October 6th, and we're going to dive right into the latest out of the Capitol, which is kind of a reenactment of Runaway Bride this week. <laughs> um, we've got some wedding analogies being passed back and forth between uh, the minority leader, uh, Inman, and uh, Governor Fallon, and just Dale. We're in this special session. We're still trying to, we're waiting for a deal, and it looked like for some, there was a deal to be had, and, and then we learned that it wasn't. Where, where are we at right now? Right. So uh, to give you a little background, um, Scott Inman came out in a, new, in a news conference on Thursday and said, uh, uh, we have a bipartisan deal. The governor agrees with us. We just got to get the Senate and the House Republicans on board. Um, and uh, it – you know, when in talking to uh, some, Senate, some House Republicans, they said, I don't know what he's talking about. Uh, and in talking to the governor, when she had a news conference later that day, she said there is no deal. And the the uh, wedding uh, analogy you mentioned is that uh, the governor said you can't uh, – it's not a wedding if there's only one person at the altar. Um, and it was a, really a direct shot to the minority leader, Scott Inman, uh, who had been earlier that day boasting that uh, that he – his caucus and the governor had reached some kind of a, an agreement. Yeah, I mean, I, so this agreement centered on how are they going to raise money to fill the budget hole? Yeah, um, and really, if a deal was in place, if if let's let's assume for a second that Inman and the governor were in agreement, it would have still been predicated on uh, Republican leadership in the House to right. move forward. Which I imagine, you know, the press conference is trying to pressure uh, Speaker McCall to to bring forward these measures. So. Inman says this, uh, and then Governor Fallon says that there was no deal. What uh, what went wrong? You know the the way that it was presented, or the way that at least uh, in in the room um, when I when I viewed the news conference, Inman's news conference, is that it was a victory speech. Um, there, that uh, after working so long and hard, uh, there was some sort of a victorious conclusion to be had. That was the tone of it. Um, it wasn't necessarily, uh, uh, at least from him, a, a rabble-rousing type uh, uh, situation. But um, you know, and and there could be a number of reasons why uh, why he chose to to take that tone and use the words that he did, and uh, et cetera. Um, but it, you know, at, at, at the end of the day, really nothing has changed. Um, and what the Democrats agreed to are some tax increases that Republicans want. Uh, motor fuel tax, cigarette tax, uh, Governor Fallon's uh, luxury service taxes, um, and the, um, the the Democrats also want a five percent gross production tax increase on all new wells, which, which is the big issue, the big hangup. Right. We imagine that would be where it would really be something if the governor was supporting that. Right, right, and and I've I've <clears throat> pardon me, I've been told the Republicans simply won't go near a five percent increase. Um, and uh, the Democrats also say that they want an income tax increase for uh, very high earners, I think, people making over 200000 And uh, these are all things that, sure, Democrats will support. But the big question is, is will the Republicans in the House and Senate support it? And I don't think they will. Yeah. So, you know, the thing that struck me is when Inman has this press conference and he says, we have reached a deal with the governor. I mean, the first question I think you asked, and you probably were asking yeah. is, where's the governor? Right. Um, I mean, you would think that if this was a deal in place, that they had talked about this, A, you know, she'd want to demonstrate that uh, that deal by being standing there right with him. 
uh, and that she would also want to speak to the issue. Um, I mean, the whole point of having to deal with the governor is to put pressure on House Republicans, and you can't really use the pressure pressure of the governor's office without the governor being there. That's right, and she, she said pretty much the same thing. Uh, she said if if there had actually been a, a deal in place, the governor said I would have announced it, uh, and uh, I think. Basically, the press pulled her out of a meeting uh, Thursday afternoon, and uh, uh, so she made that uh, a pretty brief statement about how there was no deal. Um, and this is what I think happened. All right. So um, about uh, about a week ago, the governor's office, Preston Dorflinger, put together a um, a list of ideas of proposals that each of the caucuses in the House and Senate, Republicans and Democrats, want. Um, she put it together. Uh, she called it an inventory of ideas. I wasn't in the meeting. I don't know how they framed it. Um, but uh, anyway, they presented it to everybody. Um, what I think maybe is that the Democrats basically took that or a lot of that and ran with it and said that, you know, we're agreeing with the governor. Uh, the governor says that wasn't necessarily her proposal. That was just a list of all proposals. And there's been a little bit of response to my story from Democrats. Uh, who point to a uh, a PowerPoint presentation that uh, President Dorflinger uh, offered up uh, and showed during that meeting. Uh, the title of that PowerPoint is called Grand Bargain. And uh, I guess they're saying that because it's called Grand Bargain, uh, that was a proposal, an offer, a grand bargain deal presented by the governor. Um, uh, I'm Really, just n not sure exactly what was on the governor's mind or uh, President Dorflinger's mind when they presented that, but uh, you know they're saying that it wasn't their idea; it was legislators' ideas. Well, let's assume, let's say that even let's say that the governor had come out and said, "This is my idea. This is my plan. This is what I want to do. Every idea on this is what I'm backing." Um, if the Democrats wanted to come out and support that, I would think that they would still say, "Hey, we agree with the governor's plan." But they didn't do that. They came out and said, "We are in agreement. We have a deal. We have, we have a, a part. We're, that, we're in partnership. We have a that, deal." That's different, you know. Uh, uh, semantically, that's different. We have a deal is different than we agree with, with the governor. With the governor, and I would think that if you are just press conference and deal making one hundred and one would be. I mean, Inman has this example. You know, she says you, you can't. You know, you got to have two people at the altar to get married. And then he fired back. You wrote in your story on Twitter saying, you know, well, she's the one that made the proposal. We showed up and she didn't. But you don't go along with the wedding when the bride doesn't or whoever the your <laughs> other partner doesn't show up. You know, yeah. you can't just say like, well, I mean, she said she wanted to get married. So let's let's, let's go ahead. Continue let's, on. Let's, Reverend. Have party. Yeah. let's have the party. And then afterwards say, well, I didn't notice she wasn't there. I mean, she said she wanted to get married. So we just assumed. I don't know. It just seems it, it doesn't. So we always kind of try to talk about the politics of it. Right. Um, you know, I don't know that the – I mean, I, my I, my easy answer to – first for the governor, did she advance, win, lose politically? I don't know. There wasn't really anything for her to, to, to win or lose on. I mean, she wasn't there and then she said, hey, we don't have a deal. So let's look at the Democrats, uh, House Democrats. I mean, was this, was this a win for them? I mean, did they yeah. – I mean, I guess it depends on what – partisan lens you're looking through, you may say, well, I assume the governor was in partnership and then she got cold feet at the last second. But I don't know. It just it just seemed they don't seem to be on the same page, which is troubling when we're in this process right now <laughs> of continuing to try to look for them to come together. Right, right. And and it, at the very least, it exasperates voters. Um, yeah. You know, I, I in my article, I, I presented, you know, the facts bare and, and um, you know, what, what both sides said. 
And and if I had to guess, I would say that people might be a little frustrated with with Democrats for um, for boasting about having a deal when uh, you know the governor says there wasn't one. Um, and I don't know that it it just kind of really depends on you know kind of where you stand and your support for Scott Inman probably of uh, of whether you think it was uh, a great idea for him to do that or uh, a terrible idea uh, for him to do that. Yeah, I ran into a House Democrat. It was, this was all yesterday, right? Thursday, right? The, the dueling. Yeah, um, it was after the press conference in the afternoon. I ran into him. We were exchanging. Just kind of pleasantries, and, and the the lawmaker said, "Has I I haven't checked Twitter. Has the governor responded yet?" And I was like, "Responded? What are you like? What are you expecting her to say?" He's like, "I have no idea what she'll say." I mean, and that was kind of like striking. Like, oh, okay. So if you don't know what she's going to say, um, so it just seemed like they kind of threw it out there. Like, I don't know. I mean, maybe they thought, "Hey, if we say we have a deal and it gets good press, then maybe the governor's like, well, hey, maybe I'll go along with it and say that say that I was a part of it." But long story short. There's been no movement, no advancement. Well, and and you know, forget about the governor. Um, they need House Dem- House Republicans yeah. and Senate Republicans. Uh, I'm sure that you know w- w- the things that Scott Inman uh, presented as a bipartisan budget deal yesterday. Um, I'm fairly positive that if that were to get to the governor's desk, she would sign it um, because it it does accomplish um, everything that she asked the uh, the legislature to do. Um, but. From the beginning, I've noticed that the governor, uh, at least publicly, is taking a uh, mediator approach. She's not sort of leading the legislators one way or the other about what she wants. Uh, I mean, really the only move that she's made in that direction is by issuing the call for special session as broadly as she did. Um, How they get to achieve those goals is really up to them. Does that surprise you? I mean, you're right. She, you know, in calling for the special session, she put a variety of, of goals in there, uh, you know, not just solving the budget deficit, some other things that she wanted the legislature to work on. And then she also put out that statement, I will reject a budget that has cuts. Right. Um, I kind of thought she might be setting herself up to be a little bit more of a visible presence. She hasn't been. No, she's been pretty much, I think, in line with the style that she's governed yeah. over the yeah. last several years. Um, but did you expect her to be more of a, of a public figure? Um, I mean, just public I, face, I guess. Yeah, I, I think she, I think she. It's been ramping up over the last couple of years as, as even she's become more frustrated with the state of things um, uh, not happening at the Capitol, um, like the way that you know, as a chief executive of the state, um, really wants the state to go. Um, I, I, I'm not going to say that she's not working behind the scenes because I know that she is. Her staff and uh, and the governor are working extremely hard and probably near constantly. Um, on figuring out um, where each caucus stands on various issues. Um, but um, as a public figure um, trying to lead the, the political discussion, it's, it's really hard for her because you know, she comes up against a lot of uh, really potent um, political uh, forces. Um, if she, you know, uh, she's standing up, standing up beside them, you've got Scott Edmund, you've got the Speaker of the House, who's a quiet guy. But he's still Speaker of the House, uh, and you have conservative organizations, and uh, she may just feel it's uh, better for her um, and and probably more efficient for her to work behind the scenes as a mediator. 
Yeah, and I and I think that's been her style in the past. And I, I you know, I, I don't know that uh, I'm not here to say that that one style is better than the other. Um, I just maybe coming out of the gate thought, well, maybe she's kind of setting herself up to be a little bit more of a visible presence. I'm not sure what that that gets you. Now, if Inman and the governor are standing side by side at a press conference, that's probably a powerful message. Right. I don't know that it, it gets uh, Speaker McCall to move in their direction, um, but it maybe gives them something to think about. And it seemed like a you know, that press conference ended up being, you know, Inman standing at, you know, trying to smoke the speaker out of his house saying, you know, <laughs> me and my army are here to get you out. Yeah. And the speaker's like, what army? I don't see, <laughs> I don't see the army. You're talking about this army and she's nowhere to be heard, be seen. So, well, you know, the, they, they did have uh, very, very compelling uh, members of the public there talking about how, um, how, you know, various, how even cutting just a little bit is going to really uh, damage the economy. Um, you know, on on sort of the the, the pathos uh, argument, the the Democrats have it down. Uh, they they have people who are really struggling, saying that you need to raise revenue. Yeah. So we've said this before. I think we said this last week. I mean, at some point, I mean, it, the stalemate just can't go on forever. At some point, the decision is going to be made to move forward with what we have. Right. Uh, maybe there's some things that Republicans can get done, which is a simple majority, but they're not. It's not going to be re- revenue raising measures. For the most part, um, I mean, how we are closer to that day, whatever that day is. But I mean, any more sense on on how much more patience you think there will be? You know, I, it all kind of centers right now on on the speaker's yeah. office. And at what point the speaker McCall say it's time to close up shop, guys, and move forward with where we're at? You know, that's that's the really big question is is how long they're willing to go before they um, just start batting down the hatches and say we're just going to vote on these fifty one. Vote measures. Got an over and, under on the date. You got to see our, our, our pool, our date pool well, here. In, in a couple of weeks, the Capitol is going to be shut down for uh, a number of days. I think a, an entire week, maybe a little bit more. Uh, so l- the lawmakers literally will not be able to meet at the Capitol. Um, so uh, I think even if they were to um, convene Monday, they may have to find a, a different place to uh, to uh, uh, hold session. If they raise revenue, we need to go a two-week-long session. So that when is it? When is it that the capital is closed down? You said in two weeks. Yeah, I believe so. Okay, so they are. So anything they do next week, they're going to be up against that. Yeah. that clock on there. Yeah. Do you think? And 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 that's that. That almost seems like a, a trivial thing because uh, li- literally the legislature can meet anywhere they yeah. want. I mean, do you get a sense that that will be a defining marker in time? I mean, do you think they'll go into that? construction break, if you like that, would put any more pressure to say, you know what, it's been at that point, how, how long would it have been? Five weeks? Four or five? I mean, four, right? four weeks. Yeah. At that point, do you think it's likely to be, I just, I kind of just curious what you think, I mean, where do you think, uh, Justin, what do you think the date is? I have, I don't know. I just Four weeks without a deal is a long time to just keep that going. Uh, and with nothing moving right now, because they want to do the budget first and maybe probably end up doing only the budget uh, to just have four weeks without progress would look pretty bad. Yeah, and and it's more than four weeks because you have to go back to the uh, to when the uh, cigarette tax was struck down. Um, that's been you know, I think over two months now. And if you think about it, even before that, because there was a very strong likelihood, or at least a a, a worry that it could be struck down. Um, so you know, law- lawmakers have known since May that they could end up with a two hundred and fifteen million dollar budget shortfall. And yeah. Well, I mean, even the calling of the special session was kind of a formality in this sense, right. because you're right to point out, once that was struck down, we knew a special session was going to come. I mean, we knew it was going to happen. I mean, the governor even said as much. 
um, you know, she put out the save the date and uh, or, or said we're going to do that and then, and then called for it. Uh, but they didn't have a deal. I mean, you, we've talked about how, you know, they were working behind the scenes before they called a special session. They want to have a deal in place. It sounded like she got to the point where we don't have a deal, but I got to call this thing. Yeah. You know, we got to go ahead and do it. And I'm not sure. It doesn't sound like they're any further along mm-hmm. at, at all on there. And And to be honest – from the outside, it does not appear that um, that Democrats and Republicans are any closer than they were in February on finding revenue for the state, and and that really does pose a problem for um, people like Speaker McCall who would who would like to raise enough revenue to fill that budget shortfall, um, and he may end up have to having to uh, eliminate some tax incentives and uh, various other things that get him close to that. Um, but he, um, from what I understand, uh, the state would still have to suffer some additional budget cuts. Yeah, and governor said she's not going to approve a budget. Although I feel like she's kind of sent that message before. So yeah, it'll, it'll well, be- and think about this though: Republicans need uh, seventy-six votes to raise taxes. Um, they only need sixty-six to override the governor's veto. So if they do vote to uh, uh, introduce a, uh, a budget that cuts services or cut spending in some way, they only need to gather 66 of their members to override the veto. True. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a good point. It's a good thing to rem- or important thing to remember. Well, and really, that's it right now. That's what's going on at the Capitol, just yeah. uh, waiting and watching. I would argue, and you both may disagree, but I would argue that as long as this goes on, it is worse and worse for Republicans. Um, maybe it's a throw the bums out, it's bad for everybody sort of thing. Every incumbent is hurt by this come election time. But I think everyone looked at it as this is a Republican-run state that can't get its stuff together. And for as long as it goes on, it's just worse and worse for Republicans. Yeah, I mean, I would I would agree to some extent. I think it's hard to – and I don't think you're saying this, but it, it's hard to assume that one – that there's kind of – that you can put kind of a blank, blanket political reality over the entire state. Um, I mean, there are some districts where – this may be tough for the Republican because of the primary they're facing, but they're you know they're pretty safe come election day just because of the yeah. It's not to say every Republican's going to lose next year, but I do think that's an important point because we have already seen that the races that are kind of up for grabs, Democrats have won, and we've had Republican operatives tell us it is because of the legislature, it is right. because of what is going on right now, and now they will say it hurt our turnout, it didn't necessarily shift Republicans to Democrats, but that's still at the end well, of the turnout, day, it's a part of it. Yeah, yeah, it's a part of it, and the scoreboard is what it is at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. I think you're right. I, I mean, Democrats are definitely banking on that, right? That this is worse for Republicans. Right. Um, I don't know that it costs Democrats anything right now, the current Democrats. I mean, Inman's got to think about how it hurts or helps his run for governor. But I'm trying to think through the number of Democrats, and it's easier to do than Republicans. I don't, I, it not, there's not a seat that comes to mind immediately where I say, yeah, that one will probably be at risk because of, because of what's going on. I mean, they are deeply the minority party. It is very easy for them in their quick pitch to voters on the doorstep to say, I had nothing to do and re- with the mess that's going on right now. And Republicans are going to have to convince people that all of this was Scott Emmons doing uh, as his run for governor. Um, he wanted to sink any you know, potential deal is refusing to talk with uh, Republicans and um, in furtherance of his own political campaign. Which, yeah, you know, people are already talking about that. And, and I think that, you know, uh, Republican doors uh, when they start campaigning when the primaries and 
and uh, and people across the state are going to be reminded of that from Republicans. Yeah, and that's that that story that line may have some legs in some Republican districts, mm-hmm. and maybe that's been, you know, maybe Inman's. Some would say that Inman is running for governor, you know, but it's hurting his caucus and and it's help. I, I mean, I, I'm sure he wouldn't agree with that and some other Democrats wouldn't agree with that. I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm just saying you're right, though. That does kind of add the political – that does throw in a political angle into into it to where you can say it is the Democrats' fault and it's specifically one Democrat's fault. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays in the Democratic primary. Mm-hmm. I mean to see how this issue comes. But yeah, I, I would agree with you, Justin. I think it would probably – there's – more at stake for Republicans, but is it enough yet to where we're seeing Republicans start to squirm and say, listen, we got to fix this. Give us something to vote on so that we can move past this. I don't know that we've seen. Well, I, I don't know if there's a rebellion effort. yet in the Republican uh, caucus, in the House Republican caucus. They seem fairly um, uh, sort of linked in with, with uh, Speaker McCall. Uh, well, I guess we'll see here in the next couple of weeks what, uh, what they convince him that they're willing to do. And it really depends on the district because if you're in a very conservative district, um, you're probably okay with budget cuts uh, in terms of your reelection. That's probably not going to hurt shrinking the size of government. Um, so, I mean, if it comes down to it and you don't reach a deal on revenue and you just cut the budget, that saves you from a primary challenger and you get reelected pretty easily probably. Whereas if you vote to raise taxes, then maybe you bring out a primary challenger from – the shadows, and now you have a, a real challenge or yeah. a real threat to your reelection. Yeah, no, that's a good point, and I and I think it all it doesn't it can still help Democrats and not really add to their numbers so much. You have a lot of new Democratic members that have just won elections, and you know it's not a given that they'll win next time around. I mean, Republicans will go out those seats strong. The Democrats will have you know the power of the incumbency, but that power is less when you've only been in office for a year or two compared to you know ten years. But uh, and I, th- but I, and I think like someone like Cindy Munson. I mean, she's already kind of weathered some re-election storms. Um, but uh, you know, Colin Walkie and yeah. uh, Mickey Dolans and some of these others that have flipped seats recently. Um, you know, maybe this does help them to say, "Hey, remember, I've these are all the same issues that you elected me on. They still exist, and it's not because I'm not doing anything." And I think of even the Senate, like uh, Senator Holt's district in Northwest Oklahoma City. I think that's going to be one Democrats go after. Uh, probably the most up for grabs in the Senate. And Holt, I think, has come across as a, as a moderate, um, and has actually spoken and, you know, against budget cuts and wanted to do some things, but he's not on the ballot. He's running for, running for mayor. And so it'll be interesting to see what that, what that race ends up looking like. So an interesting thing I learned about, uh, David Holt is that he's a signatory to the taxpayer protection pledge, uh, Grover Norquist's, uh, Americans for Tax Hmm. Reform. He signed the pledge that, uh, he would not vote to raise taxes. Um, and, uh, he did not sign it. Uh, I, I believe he hasn't signed it as a mayoral candidate, but he did sign it as a Senate candidate. That's interesting. And what year was that when he was first running? Uh, I'm not sure. Now, those pledges didn't hold up so well in Kansas <laughs> a couple of years. So uh, <laughs> uh, just for what it's worth there, they're, they're not carved in stone. Yep. And uh, I've got a story coming out Sunday talking about that very issue. How mm. Some like lawmakers are going to be, um, if they do vote to raise taxes, uh, they will be stepping up against uh, that tax pledge. The pledge from, from Grover at Norquist, which I will just point out, and I think it's interesting. So if we have a question, maybe I can send him a direct message. He actually follows me on Twitter. Oh, nice. Wow. And only follows 1,500 people. I don't get it. Wow. Like, you know, so anyways. I'm, maybe he'll follow me now. I don't know. I, so I can send him a direct message right now, apparently. I mean, we're following. <laughs> I can ask him. So maybe I'll, I'll save that bullet. 
Because as soon as I do, it's like, why the hell am I following this guy? <laughs> Let me unfollow. But anyways, interesting stuff. Well, we'll uh, uh, continue to keep an eye at the state level. Let's move to the uh, federal level where things are um, really not that much different, at least sometimes in the <laughs> partisan bickering and the stalemates on different issues. But right now, one of the big issues going on um, in Congress is uh, the gun debate is back, as it typically is after a mass shooting. Um, to some regards, uh, Democrats are, are quick to say we need tighter gun restrictions. Republicans say this isn't the time. Um, but after you know, less than a week after the Vegas shooting, we actually are hearing some discussion about uh, gun control. Uh, very minor discussions, but Justin, what what are what are con- what are members of Congress saying uh, moving forward following the events in Vegas? Yeah, I mean, it, it looked like it was going to be uh, kind of the typical cycle in Washington, which is uh, quite annoying. You get, you know, kind of thoughts and prayers, and then you go right into the partisan um, bickering on both sides, uh, and everyone falls into their usual camp, and nothing happens. And whether something should happen or not depends on where you sit, but it is uh, often annoying, I think, to the American public to hear the same thing over and over in the same talking points, again, on both sides. Um, this has been different. I don't know how any other way to put it. I and mean, when the NRA come out, comes out and says that we could use some uh, regulations here and we're calling on the federal government, specifically ATF this, in this case, um, that's unusual. <laughs> and uh, we even heard from some members of uh, what is a conservative caucus of or a congressional delegation here in Oklahoma. So, yeah, certainly uh, certainly unusual. Some, some efforts to uh, either have Congress ban or have the ATF get rid of or ban, uh, make illegal, uh, these so-called bump stocks, a modification to uh, semi-automatic guns, which made some act more or less like automatics uh, that were, uh, investigators say, used in the Vegas attack. So it's a kind of a small measure, but there does seem to be some effort, even from conservative Republicans, to at least take a look at this issue. What's different about this incident, this shooting, uh, or the weapons used in this shooting than you know any other. I mean, obviously the uh, I, I really hadn't heard of a bump stock before. Uh, but what's different about this time? Is it you know is it that you know the guy targeted a country music festival or that so many people died or you know what what's what's going on here? Yeah, I mean a lot of people have died in a lot of these sadly, and uh, the crowd's always a little different. But I don't think this crowd's. Uh, necessarily going to evoke a stronger reaction than others. Uh, certainly not more than Sandy Hook when you know five-year-old kids are killed. So I think it's the bump stock. Uh, it's not an issue that a lot of people know about. It's not very. They're not very prevalent, uh, and even many gun people are a little uncomfortable with them. So I think it's an easy fix. It's a small thing that doesn't encroach on. I mean, you're not getting rid of semi-automatics or assault rifles or any number of more popular items. Um, so I think it's it's kind of an easy fix. It's a way to uh, make a minor adjustment in federal law and say we did something. Well, I would agree with that, and I would say that for the gun lobby, this would be a smart move for them. Uh, I mean, it's a, they've you know the NRA has consistently been against almost any measure that would restrict guns, even mm-hmm. stuff that you know gun supporters would say kind of makes common sense. And I would imagine that's for them you know, trying to avoid what they would see as the slippery slope. You make one step, you know, you don't want to see it continue. Um, I don't know what the next step would be after the bump stock. I mean, that seems like you do that. I don't know what's next. And I'm not knowledgeable enough about guns to tell you. But to me, I mean, just personally, if I was running the uh, marketing for the NRA, those folks are not too far, by the way. Right. 
I might say, like, listen, support this. Like, say you did something. Like, take a step. It makes it easy. And most Republicans who are coming out and saying we may be open to it, it's because the NRA has now said that they might be in favor of this. Um, I mean, even the president in saying, you know, I may be, this may be a good move, cited the NRA um, when saying that. And so to me, it seems like a, like you said, an, an easy fix, a quick fix. It's low hanging fruit. You get a chance to say you did something. And it would not shock me that the next time that there's a mass shooting that people say, you know, gun supporters say, listen, we did something, didn't solve it. So, so why, you know, why continue to have, have this debate? And, and, and the NRA has a friend in the White House and they have friends in Congress who run the place. So, you know, they, they have sort of less of an inclination to worry that uh, Obama's going to come take their guns away, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, so that, that may, may have made the decision a little easier uh, for them to uh, support uh, – uh, restrictions on bump stocks. No, I was going to say, but there is still that kind of feeling that our guns are going to be taken away because right. just like after every mass shooting, this week was no exception, uh, gun sales are going up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I yep. mean, the bump stocks are, are sold out, but uh, I mean, gun sales overall are going up and that there's still that, you know, I even, it, it is kind of, it is, it still surprises me that you have gun supporters in America now with, you know, Republicans in complete control, um, when something, when a mass shoot hap- happens, you're like, ah, this may be the one that actually does it. I'm going to go ahead and, and get those guns. And, and these aren't people that are wanting to get them for mass shootings. Obviously, I'm just saying there's a there's yeah. a there's a fear that the availability is going to going to go down. Um, and Democrats would like to set that precedent. I mean, you we had the Vegas shooting, and then you went after bump stocks, and they're hoping that if you take on that, you know, the next time there is a shooting, if there is any f- easy fix or seemingly minor fix like this. That you would address it after that shooting too. They, you know, they, the nut shooter uses, uh, you know, heaven forbid, uh, a stand or a tripod or something, and then maybe you can go after those or something like that. So there is, and that's been the fear for for Republicans for a long time that you will start having this response after every one and start banning more and more until you start encroaching on, you know, more common guns or, or banning entire types of guns outright. But. Well, I, I think maybe um, another reason why it might have been kind of easy for them to do this is that uh, when, you, when you look at sort of what the guy did, um, he was able to fire dozens and dozens, of maybe even hundreds of, of rounds very quickly. Yeah. And uh, that's why so many people died and were injured was yeah. because he was able to get so many bullets out of his gun uh, so quickly. So, you know, if, if you're talking about how do we prevent a mass shooting where 50 people die – um, maybe you prevent people from having automatic weapons. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Ben mentioned, you know, the NRA um, coming out and, and speaking in favor of this. I would point out that they're asking ATF to do it. They're not asking Congress to do it. This is a, uh, seems like a small issue, but it does change the way things are done in Washington. If ATF puts in place a rule, first of all, Congress doesn't have to vote on it, so they don't have to take any difficult votes. And second of all, they, um, that, just it just becomes an ATF rule. It doesn't become law the way Congress and the president can make. So it, it's it can be done away with at any point and somewhat quietly. So a few years go by, people forget about this, or you know, at least goes to the back of their mind, and you do away with this rule, and people forget or don't longer care why we did we did in the first place. So it's different when you have ATF to do something rather than Congress, and this also kind of takes the responsibility off of. Congress is uh, back, and um, and Ben mentioned that you know several people felt comfortable saying uh, we should ban this or at least consider it after the NRA spoke out. 
I will say uh, Congressman Tom Cole did say before the NRA, actually a day before, uh, that he would be open to something like that. If it's narrowly tailored to just this item, uh, this mechanism uh, within the gun. So he, he doesn't, of course, want it expanded any further than that, but he would be open to this. And he did say that uh, at least a day before the NRA did. So he was, uh, he was a little more out front. The two senators, uh, Enhoff and Lankford, have said they're open to it. Neither of them uh, seem to know much about bump stocks, uh, and they're learning more about it and would be willing to consider that. But you're just at that point. Um, an interesting voice here, of course, is Congressman Steve Russell here in Oklahoma City because he manufactures rifles. He has a company that does that, um, and he is uh, opposed. He, he's kind of going back and forth here. He said in some TV appearances, he's been a big hit on uh, <laughs> Fox News and a number and Fox Radio and all those um, uh, because he is a gun manufacturer and the only one in Congress. So he certainly has that input. And he said at times that he's open to looking at bump stocks. And he said other times that banning a device um, or a certain kind of gun is not the answer. So he would seem to be... Um, Going back and forth a little bit here, it's tough to say where he stands on this. But, and I've not heard from uh, Mark Way Mullen or uh, Lucas, uh, Frank Lucas, Congressman Lucas. So that's kind of just a quick rundown of where the delegation stands. Did you get the impression in listening to uh, Russell speak that this was? I mean, I'm I'm sure he's he's knowledgeable about bump stocks. I imagine he knows. I don't know that he uses them necessarily, but I, I imagine he knows what it is. I mean, he could he could define it on a test. Um, you know, Paul Ryan said, "Hey, I hadn't even heard of these until yeah. until this week." Um, did you get a sense that that this was even an, an important part of the gun industry? I mean, that's part of what I've thought too. Is that you know, a lot of gun users don't even know what this is. Right? It's just you know, it's not even that important. And and for some, that may lead them to say, "Yeah, ban them, whatever." We don't because we don't know what they do. Exactly. For others, it might say, "Well, what's the point in banning them? They're not really that widely used." Or, you know, or that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I think your former point there is uh, the more common position. A lot of them didn't know. I mean, Tom Cole on MSNBC a few days ago, like, generally baffled uh, when presented with the the uh, this item. He, I mean, he did, he had not heard of them. He, and he represents Southern Oklahoma. I mean, they, there are a fair number of guns down there, uh, and he was just he was not aware of it. Um, I think you, heard, I heard from Jim Minhoff yesterday that he was not aware of it. Um, so it does seem to be something that people have had to catch up on. And because it's such a very small part of the industry, I, I don't think it, it's going to cause shockwaves through the industry or, you know, cause many holdups. It's not going to shut down gun stores or anything if they can't sell this. So I think they could be more inclined to regulate something like that. Uh, and I should point out that Congressman Russell's store, his shop does not sell, uh, these, so. Interesting. Well, uh, yeah, as that conversation continues, uh, like you said, it may it may go through without really being a need for congressional action, which I would imagine for for many in Congress, that's what they would prefer. <laughs> yes, <laughs> to, yes, to exactly. see that go go their way. But uh, all right, well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Political State Podcast. Thanks for listening. You can listen to this episode and all others on your favorite podcasting app. We're also on iTunes, NewsOK.com. We'll be back for another episode next week. For the Oklahoman with Dale and Justin, I'm Ben. Thanks for listening to Political State. We'll see you next week.